to the very front part of your Bible, Leviticus chapter 16. Leviticus 16. It's easy to find. It's right at the front, third book of your Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus chapter 16. We want everybody to have a Bible and everybody to be able to follow along. So these guys have some Bibles. They're going to make their way back, get their attention. If you need a copy of Scripture to follow along, and it's marked for you in Leviticus 16, just turn to the appropriate page. And please keep that Bible as our gift to you. We want everyone to own a copy of the Word of God, so please keep that as our gift to you. It's our pleasure to pass it on to you. And welcome, one and all, to community, and thank you for choosing to share this most sacred and blessed day with us. In our time together, we're going to look at the profound significance of the events that are celebrated on this day. We're going to conclude by looking at the personal importance of these events for you and for me. Today is commonly called Easter. Over time, it's become associated with all sorts of things that are fine and fun in themselves, but they really have nothing to do with the reason for this holy day or holiday. Baskets of candy and gifts, bunnies, colorful eggs are not wrong, but they're not remotely connected to what this day is about. Because Easter, like other of our holy days or holidays, because it's become commercialized and it so easily loses its meaning in our minds, we need to be reminded of what it is. And if you open your program, if you open your bulletin, and you take a look on the, the left side up at the top, it says Resurrection Day. And we call it that because it focuses our minds on the event that gave rise to the observance of this holy day, which was the discovery of the empty tomb on the first day of the week, Sunday. In all four of the gospel writers in your Bible, the gospels are the first four books of your New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four of them record the crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And all four of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all agree that the empty tomb was found on the first day of the week, on Sunday. And so Matthew says, after the Sabbath, which is Saturday, at dawn on the first day of the week, they went to look at the tomb. An angel said to them, do not be afraid, for I know you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Mark likewise says on the first day of the week, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And the angel told them, he has risen. He is not here. Luke as well. Notice on the first day of the week, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And the angel told them, he is not here. He has risen. John says, on the first day of the week, one of the women went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. And so the day of worship for Christians changed in the first century, nearly 2,000 years ago, after more 
than 1,500 years of worshiping on the seventh day, on the Sabbath, Saturday, the day of worship was changed to the first day, Sunday, and called in your Bible the Lord's Day. Because on that day the tomb was empty because of the resurrection. And so in that sense, that day of every week, every Sunday, the Lord's Day commemorates His resurrection. And on this very special Lord's Day, we set it aside along with the entire preceding week to remember the events involved in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. This entire week, culminating today, is called Holy Week. It begins with Palm Sunday, commemorated last Sunday, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem and he was hailed as a king. Hosanna to the son of David, the king, they shouted, as we heard our young people sing just a bit ago. And yet just a few days later, many of these same people would be shouting to have Jesus crucified. Thursday of Holy Week is called Maundy Thursday. It's Maundy from a Latin word that means mandate or commandment because it was on that Thursday that Jesus had the Last Supper with his first followers. And the Bible tells us that he gave them a new commandment, a new mandate to love one another. The next day is called Good Friday. And Jesus is crucified. And he's murdered by means of being nailed to a cross. And it's not the end of the story. Because the next week begins, as we've read, with Jesus rising from the dead on the first day of the week. And in our time together, I'd like to remind us of what was accomplished on that Friday and was consummated on that first Lord's Day, which we celebrate this morning. One of the most curious things about Holy Week for many of us is that we call the day that Jesus was crucified, that Friday we call Good, Good Friday. In order to understand why it's good that Jesus died, we need to know two things. We need to know why he died, and we need to know what it accomplished. Now, many of you, most of you, I would hazard to guess, can fill in this sentence. If we ask the question, why Jesus died, why Christ died, many of you could fill this in. Jesus died for our, for our sins, right? And that's correct. We know why Jesus died. Jesus died for our sins, and the Bible is very clear about that fact in numerous places. The Bible says in the book of Romans, he was delivered over to death for our sins. The Bible tells us as well that Christ died for our sins. It tells us he gave himself for our sins. It says he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And so you filled in the blank correctly. Why did Jesus die? He died for our sins. But then the question is, what did he do for our sins? That's the second question we need to answer for going to understand why the day that Jesus died is called Good or Good Friday. What did Jesus' death accomplish for our sins? 
Now, to understand that, we have to take a closer look at the verse that I placed on the screen. Notice it again. The last one at the bottom is, I'll give you a new one. He is the, notice this, atoning sacrifice for our sins. And this word atonement means a covering. And as it relates to sin, it means a covering for our sin. An atoning sacrifice covers our sin by the blood of the one who was sacrificed. Now, what's the background to all of that? The book from which that is quoted, you see, perhaps it's too small. It says 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2. 1 John is almost at the end of your Bible. And it says that he is the atoning sacrifice. Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. But there is background that goes all the way back to the beginning of your Bible that tells us about this covering from the blood of the one who is sacrificed on our behalf. The holy day that we celebrate actually goes back many centuries before Jesus came to die for us. It goes back to something called the Day of Atonement. And it's why Jesus could be called the atoning, the covering sacrifice for our sins. And it takes place in Leviticus 16. We're told what transpired on this special day many centuries ago, millennia ago now, on what is called the the Day of Atonement in the Bible. Now let me set a little bit of background for that. God had given instructions to his people for a mobile worship center as they wandered in the wilderness, you may recall. They were freed from slavery in Egypt. And God gave them instructions through Moses as to how he wanted to be worshipped. And he gave them explicit instructions about a tent called the tent of meeting or the tabernacle. And this tent was to have a number of sections to it. The most important of which was an intersection called the Holy of Holies or the most holy place. And in that section, there was a sacred piece of furniture. It was called the Ark of the Covenant. Those of you who are movie buffs, the Raiders of the Lost Ark is about that. Searching for that Ark that is lost. But it was placed as this holy piece of furniture, the Ark of the Covenant, in this most holy section of the Tent of Meeting or the Tabernacle. And it was an ornate box. It had a a lid, a golden lid on the top that was referred to as the atonement seat or the the mercy seat. And in Leviticus chapter 16, God gives instructions about what's to happen one day each year called the Day of Atonement. And he gives instructions for one man, one priest, the high priest. Aaron was the first And Aaron alone can go into this most holy place and he can sprinkle the blood of an animal that has been sacrificed for Aaron's sins and for the sins of the people upon the lid, the mercy seat to the Ark of the Covenant as a covering for their sins so that they can have renewed relationship with God. Notice what Leviticus chapter 16 tells us with regard to what Aaron did. 
the high priest, in verse 6 of Leviticus 16. Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. And then he is to take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And it goes on to give instructions about what he should do with these two goats that I'll mention later. Look down in verse 11. Aaron shall bring the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. And so it's clear, is it not, that this high priest had sins of his own that had to be covered by the blood of someone else. And God gives explicit instructions for how that is to happen. Notice verse 14. He's to take some of the bull's blood and with his finger sprinkle it on the front of the atonement cover. And then he shall sprinkle some of it with his finger seven times before the atonement cover. Now notice what you have here in Leviticus chapter 16 then. With Aaron, this first high priest, doing this very unusual thing to our eyes and ears. Taking the blood of one who has been sacrificed to cover for his sins, and we will see for the sins of others. Notice you have a sinful priest here. Who has to have atonement covering made for his own sin. Notice as well that only one person could go into this intersection, the Holy of Holies, the most holy place, and that was the high priest. Notice as well, it had to be done every year. It had to be done every year in order for renewed relationship to be created between God, the Holy One, and those of his sinful creatures. So why is the death of Jesus good? Well, in contrast to a priest who is sinful and must offer sacrifice for his own sins, Jesus is the sinless high priest. And in contrast to the one who must, year after year, offer sacrifice for himself and for others, Jesus, the Bible tells us, one time offered his perfect sacrifice. And all the sins of all of those who come to him are covered by the atoning sacrifice that he is, as you see on the screen, for our sins. And the Bible makes that contrast very explicit in a particular book of your Bible called Hebrews. I have for you on the screen what the Bible says in contrasting Jesus' sacrifice and the sacrifices that had gone before him. The writer of Hebrews tells us Jesus does not offer himself again and again. The way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Then Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But now he has appeared once for all. At the end of the ages, to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. 
Friends, that should resonate in your heart as the blessed truth that it is of the goodness of what Jesus Christ did on that sacred Friday nearly 2,000 years ago. And the writer of Hebrews goes on to say this in contrasting Jesus with all who have gone before him, all the sacrifices and all the priests. Now, there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office, but because Jesus lives forever. He has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he's able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest meets our need, meets your need, meets my need. One who is holy, who is blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins, then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. This is our high priest. And he did his high priestly work that Good Friday nearly 2,000 years ago. And that's why, friends, it's not only good, it is great Friday for those who will come to Jesus and avail themselves of the salvation that he offers to us. Jesus died for our sins. We know that. You filled in the blank. But what did it accomplish? Well, let me tell you a few things it accomplished. And then we're going to spend the remainder of our time giving some further explanation, but making application of what Jesus has done for us. But he died for our sins. What did it accomplish? Well, we had a problem. And the problem was, and if you've not come to Jesus, the problem is that sin must be paid for. That sin was paid for year after year by the blood of an animal That was brought before God according to the instructions that he had given. And now Jesus has come to make the payments with his own blood for the the penalty that belongs to you and belongs to me. What did Jesus accomplish? We had a problem, but Jesus has come to be the solution to that problem. The problem was sin must be paid for, but it was only done once a year before Jesus came. It was done by a priest who was sinful himself. Jesus has solved that problem. You know what? Not only did we have a problem, God had a problem, a dilemma as well, that the sacrifice of Jesus has solved. You say God had a problem. What problem did God have? Here's the problem that God had. God had been leaving the sins of people beforehand, before Jesus came, unpunished, based upon the incomplete, imperfect sacrifice of an animal at the hands of an imperfect, sinful priest. And here's the problem for God. Sin is a diminution. Sin is a lessening of the glory of God. In effect, that's what sin is. It's failure to live for the honor and the character of God. And if God leaves it unpunished, then God himself would be saying, my glory really doesn't matter that much. 
And so God had to, God had a problem. God had to provide a sacrifice to satisfy his anger against sin in order to demonstrate that his glory is all-encompassing and all-important and the ultimate priority. We had a problem, God had a problem, and Jesus solved both our problems. And that's what the Bible says in Romans chapter 3. All have sinned and fall short or, or lack the glory of God. But those same people can be justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of covering, of atonement, through faith in his blood. Why? He did it to demonstrate his justice because, as I said a moment ago, in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it. To demonstrate his justice at the present time so he could be just. And the one who justifies those who have faith. In Jesus. So what did it accomplish? We had a problem. God had a problem. And it solved them both in Jesus' one, once for all sacrifice. Now I have for you in the outline that's in your program three things in particular that the sacrifice of Jesus on Good Friday accomplished. The first of those is this. The cross and the Savior who died as our sacrifice upon that cross, the cross pardons us. In the passage that I've just read, the Bible mentions several times that we are, and here's the word, justified. By the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf, justified before God. And here's what it means. It means when one comes to Jesus Christ by believing that they are a sinner requiring the sacrifice that only he could make for them. When one comes to Jesus, God makes a change in the way he looks at that individual so that he, God, the righteous judge, declares that individual just, justified before him. If you were with us three weeks ago for our observance of the Lord's table... I mentioned at that time that a good way to remember this word justified is this. It is just as if I'd never sinned. And the individual comes to Jesus. And God now changes the way he looks at him no longer as a sinner who will be judged to pay for his own sin. But now as one who has been made completely righteous because the blood of Jesus covers that individual. And how long does the blood of Jesus cover that individual? Ah, for as long as Jesus lives. And how long will that be? A permanent priesthood that lasts forever. The cross pardons us. And friends, that is the power of the cross. That it pardons us. And our ensemble is going to sing of that very power of the cross. The cross pardons us completely because of the sacrifice of Jesus on that cross. 
The cross also frees us, I say in the outline that you have in your program. It frees us from the guilt of past sin. We'll see some other things from which it frees us, but it frees us from that. God is the judge, and when one comes to him through the blood of Jesus, he, as we saw, declares us righteous, just, right before him. And so we are no longer legally guilty before God. But we often feel guilty still before God. We know that we have sinned. Perhaps we have sinned in heinous ways. Perhaps we have sinned in ways the consequences of which are still with us at this moment as I speak. And we're not free from that. We don't feel like we are forgiven completely before God. And I want to share with you something else that happened on the Day of Atonement that I pray will help you with that most important issue. If you still have your finger in Leviticus chapter 16, look with me at something else that would take place on that day. Aaron the high priest would take two male goats, two male animals, and the Bible tells him to cast lots, in effect flip a coin, and the one uh, that wins gets to stay alive, And the one that loses is going to be sacrificed. The one that is allowed to live is going to be treated in a particularly prescribed manner, beginning in verse 20. When Aaron had finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall bring forward the live goat. He's to lay both hands on the head of the live goat. And confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the desert in the care of a man appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a solitary place. And the man shall release it in the desert. This goat is called the scapegoat. The escape goat, literally. This is the goat upon whom the sins of all the people is symbolically placed by the hands of the priest. The sins are taken upon this one who is innocent and they are taken away, never to return. But the problem is, the goat could find his way back, could he not? And you might always live with the fear that the goat would drift back into the camp. And so a tradition developed that the man assigned for this task of taking the scapegoat, the escape goat into the desert would would send him over a cliff so that it was the goat was killed. The Bible doesn't tell us that, but you can see how that would develop from the fear that this would return. Well, that was a fear then. But it need not be a fear now. Because God says in Jesus, I have nailed 
your sins to the cross. I will remember them no more. And so the cross pardons us, and in pardoning us, the cross also frees us. And it frees us from the destructive effects of the consequences, thinking about the guilt of what we have done in the past. Friends, we must remember that Jesus Christ has paid for our sins on the cross. And he does not bid us look back. He bids us look forward for new life in him. The cross frees us. The Bible tells us the cross frees us from the power of sin over us. Romans chapter 6 in your Bible teaches that at one time before coming to Jesus, we were what the Bible calls slaves to sin. But now that we have come to Jesus, we have been given the power over sin. We do not have to sin as we once did. And so the Bible tells us in Romans 6 and verse 11, sin will no longer be your master. The cross pardons us and the cross frees us. That's why in the book of Leviticus, the Day of Atonement was also attached to another celebration. It was called the Year of Jubilee that some of you are familiar with. It would happen every 50th year. And every 50th year, the Lord commanded that there would be a jubilee. It would be a time when debts would be completely forgiven. If you owed money that you could not pay, it would be forgiven. What a great thing about now. Debts would be forgiven. Slaves would be set free. In the year of Jubilee. Now guess when the year of Jubilee was to begin? On the day of atonement. The year of Jubilee began on the day of atonement. Why? Because we celebrate the fact that our sins have been covered. And then we live in the freedom of having been released from the slavery and the tyranny of former sin. And the guilt that goes with it. Hear this, friend. If you are not walking in the jubilee that is the Christian life, it is because you have never come to the atonement that Christ provides. But we're going to give you opportunity at the end of our time, in just a bit, to come and receive the sacrifice that Jesus has made for you. The cross that pardons and the cross that frees us from our sins. a song that we love to sing at our church that talks about the work that Christ did on the cross for us. It's titled In Christ Alone, and we invite you to stand and sing with us. The cross pardons us, and the cross frees us, and I say finally, or close to finally in your outline, the cross cleanses us. Jesus is the sacrifice of atonement for our sins. Atonement, a covering. And a good way to think of that word atonement is to break it up this way. It means at-one-ment. When atonement is made, it means that two who were apart become reconciled. We become one. 
Because of our sin, we are separated from God. But because of Jesus' atonement, we become reconciled to God. But a couple of things have to happen in order for us to be able to be at one, atoned before God. God's holy, righteous anger for our sin must be assuaged. That was accomplished in the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf. He was satisfied, as we've just sung, God was satisfied with the sacrifice of his son. He accepted that sacrifice of Good Friday on our behalf. And so his righteous, holy, just wrath for our sin is appeased. He turns his wrath from us because he placed his wrath upon Jesus. And so Jesus serves as our atonement. We can be reconciled to God because the anger of a righteous God has been satisfied by the sacrifice of Jesus. That's first. That must happen. Jesus did that. You must receive. You must receive what Jesus did then. But the Bible uses a word as well to describe the atoning sacrifice of Jesus. There are a couple fancy terms. The one I just described is propitiation. If you want to impress your friends sometime. To avert the righteous wrath of God. To propitiate his wrath. There's another word to, to expiate. To remove the dirt and the defilement of sin. From the one receiving the sacrifice. To expiate, to, to cleanse from sin. And those of us who know our sin and have come to know it every day and every week and every year, all the greater as we come to know more about how holy our God is and how dark our hearts are, we need this cleansing, this expiation from Jesus. And I mentioned earlier that some of you may be thinking, how could God forgive me? I've done all these heinous things. There must be something that I have to do to make up for it. And I can't make up for it. And so I'm guilty day after day, week after week, year after year. Or perhaps, in addition to your own sin, there have been sins committed against you. Such that you are defiled and you feel dirty. Every person who has been a victim of abuse, particularly of, of sexual abuse, of rape, you know what they always say as they describe their experience? I felt like I had to take a shower. I had to take a bath. Because they, they feel dirty. And here's what Jesus' blood does. Jesus' blood appeases the righteous anger of God, but it also cleanses the one who receives the sacrifice that Jesus has made. And that's why the Bible speaks over and over again of being washed white as snow, of the garments of those who have come to Jesus being white and bright because they've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. And so, friends, the cross pardons us and the, friends, the cross frees us, but it also cleanses us as well. 
before God and before our own consciences. Those things that have done by us and those things that have been done to us as well. And so we have a song, a great hymn of the faith. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. Would you stand one more time and sing with us? I thank you for your kind attention thus far, and we will seek to hasten in our final moments together. But I would be remiss if in presenting the good news of what Jesus Christ has done on what we call Good Friday, we did not offer opportunity for every person here who has never come to Jesus to receive the benefits of the sacrifice that he has made on our behalf, for you to do so before we leave today. And that's why the final point that we have in your outline is that not only does the cross pardon and free and cleanse, but it does all of that. It does all of that for you. I think you can see now why Good Friday is called good. But Holy Week doesn't end with Jesus' death. It ends with the beginning of the new week when Jesus rose on the first day, the Lord's day, that first resurrection day. Because Jesus lives, a number of things are true then. We will all one day stand before the living Christ. He is alive. He will return again. He will judge the living and the dead. Everyone will stand before Jesus. Everyone before Jesus. No one before Buddha. No one before Muhammad. Everyone before Jesus. And the issue will be this. Not did you join a particular church. Not did you give enough money. Not were you baptized. The issue will be this. Did you receive the sacrifice that I made for you on your behalf and has been offered to you in my grace? There are lots of religions that would tell you there is another way. You have to do it yourself. You keep the rules. Jesus alone, biblical Christianity alone, has God coming to us to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. We're going to see a three-minute video clip that seeks to capture that. Then we'll have a song and we'll conclude our time together. by, he told the man to meditate, to purify his mind, and when he reached nirvana, all suffering would cease. The man did as he was told, but he remained in the hole. Another man appeared. He explained that the hole didn't exist, and neither, in fact, did the man. It was all an illusion. 
The man who did not exist was still stuck in the hole that was not there. Another visitor arrived. He instructed the man to perform good deeds to improve his karma, and though he would still die in the hole, he might be reincarnated as something magnificent. Another man looked down from above. He taught the man to pray five times a day facing east and to follow five important tenets. If he was faithful, one day, perhaps, the divine would set him free. The man prayed as best he could, but he was losing strength, and in the hole he remained. something different about him. He called down to the man in the hole and asked him if he wanted to be free. This man lowered himself into the earth, into the pit. He took hold of the man. going to bow and then we are going to receive our offering and will be dismissed but we're going to bow first and as we do we're going to thank God for what we have been reminded of today good Friday great Friday his faithfulness to us in the person of Jesus and those of you that have received the sacrifice that Jesus has made we're going to thank God for resurrection day that he is alive. He is alive within us. He is coming to reconcile his world to himself at a time of his choosing. But there will be others of you who need to pray from your heart to God in this sacred moment to receive the sacrifice that Jesus has made by acknowledging that you can do nothing to save yourself, that you need what he has done for you, that you have sinned against him, that you deserve punishment, but you believe Jesus took your punishment on the cross of Calvary, and you ask him then to apply that to you, to forgive you, and you commit to follow him with your life from this day forward. He will change you, and the cross then will pardon you and free you and cleanse you. Let's bow together. Father, we thank you for this sacred, holy time to be reminded of these most sacred events. Lord, their, their impact is beyond my ability to communicate or for any of us to take in. We thank you, Lord, for, for condescending to speak to us in words that we could understand in a book that you have written so that we could catch some of what you have accomplished in Jesus Christ. Lord, you have made it very plain who we are, who you are. 
and that we are not at one with you, that we need at one meant we need atonement. Lord, you have made it very clear that there is nothing that I can do that we can do to bring ourselves to where you are. Thank you, Lord, for 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 throwing the rope down to us in the hole and climbing down to where we are and doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Thank you for demonstrating the truth of every claim that you made to be God, to be Messiah, to be Lord by rising on the third day. We believe and we acknowledge that you are Savior and Lord. And I pray for anyone here who has not received the sacrifice that Jesus made, that they're doing so in this moment right now. I ask you, Lord God, I ask you to move upon the hearts of men and women who are seeing perhaps for the first time the good news of the truth of Jesus Christ, that it's not about what they do. It's not about what they've done. It's about what he has done for them. And I pray that they are being saved in this moment. We love you, Lord God. And we acknowledge you as the true and living God, Jesus Christ, whom we love to serve. It's his, and it is in his name that we pray. Amen.